This is Ian Freebairn-Smith, and on behalf of the board, I welcome you to another ASMAC podcast. What you're about to hear is a recording of one of our monthly luncheon presentations recorded at Catalina's Jazz Club in Hollywood. These podcasts feature leading Hollywood composers, arrangers, orchestrators, and musicians talking about their lives and music. Good afternoon, everybody. I hope you all had a good lunch. Thank you, Catalina, again for such delicious food. We love you. For those who don't know me, my name is Chris Walden. I'm the ASMIC president. And I welcome you all to this uh, very special luncheon that we're having today with special guests. But now, I think there's not one arranger, not one arranger in this room that has not at least once arranged a song written by today's guest speakers. I, for my part, have at least arranged five different versions of what are you doing the rest of your life for different artists and projects. Um, as a matter of fact, I owe part of my career to having arranged songs written by the two of them. I even had the honor of once being the first arranger to lay hands on a new song by them when I arranged We the People for Patty Austin and the Boston Pops. Therefore, it is my utmost pleasure to welcome today's guest speakers, Alan and Marilyn Bergman. And our host and moderator, please welcome Ian Freeburn-Smith. Thank you, Chris. Well, I think this is going to be one of the most extraordinary luncheon gatherings we've had in some time. And uh, those of you who know Alan and Marilyn know what I mean. And while Alan is preparing himself to get up here, I will, uh, <clears throat> I wasn't going to talk about this, but since he's not here yet, I will talk about this. There's nothing he doesn't know. Uh, my family moved back from, from Sherman Oaks to Philadelphia in 1950. And uh, my dad was program director of WCAU-TV in Philadelphia. And one of the directors, television directors, on the staff was Alan Bergman at age 25. And I was at the University of Pennsylvania. I had finished my classes every day. And I'd come down to the station, because that's where I wanted to hang out. And I met all the people there, and I met Alan. And the first thing I noticed was this kind of New York swagger that he had and a way of talking. And I thought to myself, that's a guy I want to know. <laughs> he, was, he was one of the hippest people I'd ever met, back way, way long before it was even hip to be hip. <clears throat> so uh, we go back a long way, and uh, he's just one of the nicest people you'll ever want to meet. The thing I like about them, the thing I love about them, is that we owe them a debt of gratitude for revealing to us aspects of love that we never even knew before. Love found, love lost, love hoped for. So they've just opened our hearts. And what a wonderful thing to have as a career, to be writing love songs. And that's what they do. And they're, they're just, well, they're the best. That's all I can tell you. And they've worked, of course, with some of the great composers of all time, Michelle Legrand and Dave Grusin and others and others and others, Marvin Hamish. So, without further ado, welcome Alan and Marilyn Bergman. You. Alan, you want to sit here? Good afternoon. <laughs> Alan and I had a long talk last Monday about just about everything cool. we wanted to uh, talk about. And I wish we had recorded it, because we could simply play it for you now. <laughs> And uh, it'll be a lot easier. But we'll go over it all again, of course. Um, really, the first thing, I guess, how does it feel to have really defined love in American music in a way that has never been defined before? I could read a lyric of yours or two just to read it. And it reads like a love, sto like a love story. And uh, how do you feel about that? <laughs> well, a lot of it comes from, uh, you know, the context in which we wrote it. Uh, f uh, in the movie, in the film, or 
You know, we feel that melodies, wonderful melodies that we've been lucky enough to work with, uh, have a story in there. There are, there are uh, words on the tips of those notes and we have to find them. The stories are in the, in the melodies. You know, the, the rhymes are in the melodies, you know. Uh, and we, we do prefer to write to the melody. And you mentioned the idea that the song written for a film can't just be a song. No. There are certain requirements uh, about the film itself that you really take seriously. The, uh, the, the, the concept of story, of, of dramatics. Uh, you don't hear that in every movie song. I mean, what did Moon River have to do with anything, you know? It was a great song, but it had nothing to do with the movie it was in. I won't criticize anything. No, well, I tried. <laughs> no, no. Well, I didn't mean no, to do but that either. But, but really, I sang on it, if I remember when we no, sang. No, but Ian, that really is part of the story. That was an extension of the screenplay. Here was a girl uh, who was looking for uh, a way to find herself, and uh, and the you know the metaphor of going down a river to find yourself. Uh, was the way Johnny expressed it. Uh, I mean, uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, and Mercer, uh, probably the most uh, most versatile lyric writer ever. I mean, he could write everything. He could write uh, um, love songs. He could write about lost youth. He could write about. He could write very funny lyrics. He was mm-hmm. he was the best. <laughs> yeah, he could be almost. Amazingly clever, just clever oh, what he wanted to. Yeah. And I was very lucky. He was my mentor. I spent a few years with him, uh, and he was great to me. Yeah. So. Wow. Well, where can we start? That's an idea for a <laughs> yeah. That's a good title. Yeah. Um, you know, for all the writers there, you should know too that Marilyn had a wonderful uh, mentor, Bob Russell. Bob Russell, and, and probably not known to all of you. He was an extraordinary writer. Uh, he he also um, viewed Mercer as a, a colleague, but a most respected colleague, because they were probably close to the same age. But he wrote. Uh, I guess my favorite song that he wrote is Come a Long Way from St. Louis. Um, and he wrote uh, Time Was, and he wrote, uh, well, the big songs were Ballerina and... Don't Get Around Much Anymore. Don't Get Around Much Anymore. Wrote, he was hardly unknown in the 50s. Uh, and what people don't, don't realize, when Marilyn went to the High School of Music and Art, uh, in the afternoon, she used to go to Bob Russell's house and play piano for him. He was not a musical lyric writer, and they didn't have tape machines in those days. So she would play over Don't Get Around Much Anymore or uh, Do Nothing Till You Hear From Me uh, until he wrote those wonderful lyrics. And she was his piano player. <laughs> it was some class. <laughs> yeah. And talking about music, or songs for movies, you were mentioning, well, I had fallen in love with a song by John Williams from Sabrina called Moonlight. Oh, Moonlight, yeah. Yes, that you guys wrote the lyrics for. That covered the evening, the nighttime, and the next morning, so subtly and so beautifully in the words. And I'm wondering, you mentioned that uh, Michelle Legrand and, and uh, John Williams would write completely differently, in different ways. The, the, what's the word? The job of writing. John would write a song. Yeah. Michelle would write five songs. Yeah, Michelle um, would, uh, he's, on several pictures, he would stay at the house, uh, and he would come down uh, and say, I think I have found the melody for that spot, and he would p- play four or five melodies for the same spot. Uh, he uh, and in one case <laughs> he came down and, and played us these melodies and not 
There wasn't one that was, they were all beautiful, but they weren't right for the particular spot we were writing for. And uh, one of us, we never know which one, uh, said to him, uh, what happens if the first line of the song is, what are you doing the rest of your life? And he said, oh, he said, I like that. And he was sitting at the piano, and however long it takes you to sing or play that song, that's how long it took him to write it. His From fingers, beginning to end. Yeah, his fingers never left the keyboard. Then he said, you mean something like that? <laughs> and we said, yes, exactly like that. Now play it again for us. And he went like this. <laughs> but knowing Michelle, I had the tape machine going, and I played it back for him, and he said, oh, oh yeah, okay. And then he played it again, and, uh, and then we said, you go somewhere, go to a movie, leave us alone, and so on. Did you say that when you asked him to play it again, he said, I yeah. don't know what I play. He said, oh, I okay. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But, but he does, he does that. He's one of the composers, and we've written with a lot of wonderful people. Uh, he's one of the composers who never uh, stops writing. Uh, nobody has to pay him. He writes every day. Uh, he keeps that motor going all the time. Uh, and uh, you can, you know, it just flows out of him because, you know, he went to conservatory when he was four or five years old and, uh, in France, and uh, that's the training he got. You have to write. <laughs> yeah. And so he writes, yeah. yeah. To this day, you know, he does. That's amazing. I yeah. hope he has a tape recorder now. Yeah, <laughs> I hope so. And and you know, and he's critical. He said, "No, he'll he'll write or start something and maybe get eight bars or sixteen bars." He said, "No," and he'll start over again. You know. Uh huh. Yeah. Wow. But the every composer has his different different um, methods. Some like. Like Marvin Hamish liked two or two to four bars uh, of a lyric, an idea or something. He he needed that. Uh, hmm. He had in the case of the way we were, we had that title. It was it's one of the few things, two few titles we we didn't uh, that were, wasn't our title. There was a title of a book which then became title of the movie. So Marvin had the way we were to work with, uh, hmm. you know, where to put it yeah. melodically. Uh, and he knew it was, uh, to, the picture was taking place in the 40s, so he knew that the character of the melody had to be consistent with the time. What about working with Dave Grusin, for instance? What about, uh, what about yes. that? Yeah, well, he's what? Well, a brilliant pianist, yeah. a wonderful arranger. Oh, a marvelous what? melody writer. He, uh, he's the whole, he's the real deal, too. <laughs> yes, he is. And a wonderful human being, besides. Yeah. That's the whole package, you know. We've, yeah. we've been so lucky. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Johnny Mandel, Michelle Lingrand. Dave Grusin, don't let me leave anybody, and, and Marvin Hamlisch. Yeah, Henry Mancini. Henry Mancini, I mean, they were songwriters, mm -hmm. um, as well as, uh, you know, full composers who could score any kind of picture, if the picture had a story, I had a, um, I had a point of view, you know. Mm. And I, I, just to extend something you said, Alan, uh, I remember only one time this happened where a director, and I won't mention the director's name, told us when he called and said he wanted us to write a song for his film. He said, uh, um, and you don't have to even see the picture, you, I mean, uh, you know, you know the title, he says, I'll tell you something, but just write. And we turned the picture down. <laughs> we said, first of all, we don't write songs for screenplays or pictures that we've not read or seen. Uh, the fun is 
working your way into the fabric of the movie as if you were there from the beginning, but you, of course, were not. So... And why wouldn't he let you see it? No. Well, why wouldn't he? I don't know why. It's um, odd, isn't it? We left at that point. It was the <laughs> end of the relationship yeah. or the end of the... the can, yes, I can't imagine the director yes. doing that. But uh, The picture didn't do a thing. Oh. <laughs> and I know it... Revenge would, is sweet, isn't it? <laughs> it would do no more had we written a song. Yes. <laughs> Certainly a song that had nothing to do with the picture. Mm. We have enough of those now. One of the, in, uh, one of the interesting things about the, that song we, we talked about, What Are You Doing the Rest of Your Life? Um, the picture was... Directed and written by a wonderful director, a very gifted man by the name of Richard Brooks. And Richard um, said to us, I'm writing a picture now that there's a part for a song in it. Uh, and I'd like you to write it with, with Michelle Legrand. And he, uh, the, he said the, pic the song will appear twice in the movie. The first time, it will be uh, a love montage, behind a love montage. Uh, these two people, very much in love, they were graduating college and subsequently would, would marry. And he said this, and so that's the first time you hear it. The second time, he said, it's 16 years later, and the, uh, the wife has become an alcoholic, the husband a workaholic, they have a 15-year-old daughter and she decides the wife decides that she's had enough and she leaves her husband and her child never to come back she goes to her favorite bar lines up the martinis and uh, puts a dime in the jukebox he says when she puts a dime on the jukebox she says you hear the same song he says you can't change a word you can't change a note. You can't change the arrangement. I want it exactly that way. But it has to mean something entirely different. It has to be irony at that point. And so when she leaves and she starts to drink and she's left her husband, she's left that life, you hear, what are you doing the rest of your life? North and south and east and west of your life. So it means something entirely different, which for us was a great challenge, a great, uh, wonderful assignment to do that, you know. And the director, who was an ex-Marine, wonderful man, the first time he heard it, he was smoking a pipe, I'll never forget it, and uh, Michelle sang it, and finished, and he just went like this, yes. <laughs> that was it. That yes was a gift and a half. <laughs> he was yes. wonderful. <laughs> he he did uh, in Cold Blood and Elma Gantry and The Professional. He was a wonderful cat on a hat in He was a wonderful director. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, but, but but those kind of assignments and those kind of films are, you know, they are. The elements that are responsible for whatever inspiration we get. Mm -hmm. yeah. It's so clear, and there's so clearly a place for them. Yeah, yeah, not just at the end of a movie uh, for songs, you know. And and it's important that, uh, of course, lyric writers uh, should be dramatists, but so should the composer. And that's where we were very lucky you know, with people like those composers that uh, Ian talked about. They are, in addition to being wonderful composers, melody writers, and background writers, they're dramatists. And uh, that's very important. Yeah, the song is really part of the score, I know, as you two approach it. And a lot of people don't approach it that way. but. Uh, you certainly do. It's it's part yeah. of the what, what's the word? Part of the screenplay. Yeah, the extension of the screen. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, you know, well, that's the the goal in any event. That which is 
accepted by uh, the composer as well as you know, the lyric writer, certainly. What about your association with Barbara Streisand? When did that start? What about that? Yeah. <laughs> you got yeah. another hour? Uh, yeah. Um, but I'm just curious to know how you first uh, got together with her on a project at all. Well, we've been friends since she's 18 years old. Uh-huh. Uh, and that's a relationship which has only grown over the years. She was, is, she doesn't work enough, but she is a muse for us. Um, I think she's one of the most intelligent and uh, literate of, of uh, singers. Uh, unfortunately, she doesn't, she doesn't do it. I, I mean, there aren't songs like the songs we had the luck of being asked to write for singers like her. There are many uh, wonderful singers. But for us, there has only been one, Barbara Streisand. Because she's an actress and because she's a director as well, I think, and, a, and an affinity that's built over many years between us, I think she is... Um, uh, a lyric writer's gift in terms of really understanding uh, the whole context of the film, if it's a film song, and many of them were. Yes. Um, yeah, she's a, a wonderful actress. As a, as a singer, she's an actress. Yes, oh, everything, is stay, everything stays in the context for which it was written. Mm -hmm. If that's the intention, to be part of the film. I mean, once it's released from the, uh, the job or the assignment of um, uh, speaking to whatever scene in the movie or, or the movie itself as a whole, the song is to be part of. But I can't say enough about her. And the gift that she's given everybody back is the gift of her son. I don't know if you've heard her son sing. Uh, he's on the new album, I know. He sings a duet with her of uh, How Deep Is the Ocean. That is a killer. I mean, it's just... Jason is a wonderful singer, in case you haven't heard him. He's, uh, he got the genes. It oh, is. yeah. He's got good genes on both sides. Yeah. 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 Elliot Gould was very musical yeah. and also a very good actor. Mm. The so interesting it's not an accident that he really is. If you have not heard him, I urge you to hear yeah. him. Hmm. Okay, Michelle Legrand, <laughs> one of the great songwriters of the 20th century and also one of the great orchestra composers. Yeah. Um, when you were working on Yentl with Streisand and Michelle, yeah. uh, how do you start? I mean, how did you approach that project? Well, we... we um, did you write the songs first? <laughs> oh, no, no. We, uh, Barbara had many writers. Um, Script writers. Yes. Um, right, there must have been maybe... 10 to 12 different versions of it before. Really? It, yeah. And we were, you know, um, we would read them and make suggestions and so forth and so on. Uh, over the, uh, it took maybe three, four years, you know. Uh, but, uh, uh, and then the, the time came to choose a composer. And we knew we didn't want to score like Fiddler on the Roof. That's a great score, but we didn't want that kind. And Michelle, who uh, had written uh, many of the songs uh, of ours that Barbara recorded, was a wonderful composer for her. Uh, he, uh, his melodic gift um, encourages her to use all of her talent. Um, and so we, three of us, decided that he would be the right composer. Middle European uh, music Dramatic. that, mm -hmm. the, you know, yeah. that. And uh, 
And he did a wonderful job. And here's the interesting thing. When I was talking about dramatists as composers should be, um, one of the songs, well, outside of one song, he wrote all the melodies first in that picture. And we would tell him in prose and write uh, what kind of a song it should be, where it, uh, from whom it came, what it should say. No lyrics. There were no lyrics involved at this point. And for instance, he came back one day. We said she was going to leave her husband, uh, her, her father's house. Her father had died, and she was running away. She had his clothes on, went into the forest. She's scared. Uh, didn't very frightened, very, and he came back with a melody. They went ba ba da ba da da. Papa, can you hear me? Now we never said those words to him whatsoever, hmm. but he wrote this whole melody based on the situation. So he, that's what we mean by being a dramatist. Yeah, you know. Wow, what a story. And there's only one song. Uh, it was a Friday afternoon. We were in London, and we were starting to uh, record uh, on Monday. And we said to Barbara, there's a song missing. She said, yeah. I mean, we had been working on this for years. Yeah, there's a song missing. When you get accepted into the yeshiva, into the school, in the, into the seminary, this is a big biggest point in your life at that point. There must be a song there. We have to write it. She said, you write, write it. And we wrote the lyric first. And we said to Michelle, who, who can do it? But <laughs> you have to understand, this was, he's French. And so some, sometimes his language in English, the accents are wrong, you know? Some, I, would go, I, I have to go see my manager. You know, so we could never write lyrics first because of that accent problem. Uh, but we wrote this, song and he he nailed it. He nailed it. He did the exact. We didn't have to change a word. And it's where she opens, where she's accepted into the seminary, and she opens the book and she sees this is one of this is one of those moments. And he he just wrote. It was amazing. There again, his drama feel, you know, the feel for drama is in the music. Something in the air here must be great for you. It's the first time you've ever out-talked me like this. <laughs> I'm sorry, darling. Talk about feeling comfortable I get, with your colleagues. <laughs> I get wound up, I'm sorry. That's nice to hear. No, that's what that's we try to do. That's not what I meant, Alan. I know, I know. It's true, she's far more articulate than no, I am. No, I'm a very good far. listener. <laughs> far more. I've been listening to you for how many years? <laughs> We've been writing together since 1958. Mm. Oh. No, I'm sorry. We've been married since 1958. We've been writing together since 1956. Oh. See, I didn't dare correct you. <laughs> Speaking of that, yes. is there anything you could say about the actual way in which you work? Uh, do you Hard. both just toss ideas out, or does one listen to the other, or does one kind of come up with a completed thing and then the other one looks no. at it? Or no. How do you do that? Or is it different all the time? No, well, it's, it's not certainly not one method or one approach, but first of all, we submerge yourself in the film if it's for a film if it's not then it's in the music if the music exists first you know uh, if you're writing for a movie that's the master I mean whatever you write has to serve a movie but that is not your question no <laughs> no I know um, it may be a difficult question to answer no it's, no, it's not because it's, it's a good question um First of all, I think our relationship plays a big part in it because in order to 
create anything. There's a certain amount of bravery that's uh, involved in burying yourself in front of a, even a collaborator, even a long-time collaborator. You have to be brave to offer something uh, as an idea. We have that part licked. Um, so we, we never have any need to uh, explain anything mm. or to say this is all the, 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 the presupp presuppositions here where you say, well, this is only an idea, I mean, or I don't really mean this, but, but maybe that, you know, there's none of that dancing. Um, and we're always there with each other. We live in the same house, so yes. we don't have to make too many plans how we get together. <laughs> you know. um, well, making those uh, making those prefatory remarks before you say something you really want to say is something I think a lot of people do in their marriage. I mean, you get to the point where you have to kind of ex explain yourself or excuse yourself before you say That's something. That's what I meant to say just before. I guess. Yeah. And uh, it's wonderful that you've just jumped over that and uh, don't have to do that anymore. That's true. Yeah. No, we, a, we don't waste time with that. But the actual process is like uh, pitching, pitching and catching. catching. There, you <laughs> there you go. You, you were that in the car coming down. No, no. many years ago. <laughs> and, and you know, one, one is the creator and one is the edit, editor. And those roles change within seconds, within seconds. Also, we don't have to be afraid to say anything at, which precedes what you just said. So you don't have to say, well, this may be wrong, but, or, well, I, this is only a, an idea, and it's not formed, and I haven't really thought about it too much, but I think I'll throw it out because you'll make it better. <laughs> but, uh, Wow, that's a wonderful. That's a yeah. wonderful place to get to. I don't think most yeah. people who are close to each other ever get there. Well, and also, I would say ninety some odd percent of the time we have these marvelous melodies. Well, if it was up to us, it would be hundred yeah. percent of the time. Yeah, it would be hundred percent of the time. That's the. Because uh, that's where. That's the, where it all comes from. Yeah, that's where. As the, you said, yeah. the structure of the piece of music has everything in it. Not only does it have the mood, the idea, uh, but it has, it has, all the rhymes are in the music. Yeah. Mm. Clearly, the composer knows where the rhymes are. Uh, even if he doesn't or she do, don't, doesn't, don't, doesn't realize that he does, she he, does. Yeah, I, I don't think every composer knows where the rhymes are, at least consciously. Not consciously, perhaps. No. Wow. But a good melody but they're, they're, that means to have a lyric uh, that has something to say, mm -hmm. it's clear where, it's, it's clear what the idea is, first of all. Yeah. And, you and can, if not, you've got to dig for it. Yeah, and you know if, if some phrase was not rhymed at all, you know that it's missing because of the music. That's say, why it's there. Say that again. I'm not clear about. Well, that. if you write, uh, you know, something and and you don't use the rhyme where it should be, because of the music, you there hear it. There's not a rhyme where There's, it should yeah, be. Yeah, really. you hear it. The, yeah. It's like a clam. Yeah. You know, you you you're good with, oh, that's not that's not right. That doesn't yeah. sound like it's marrying the music, or the yeah. music is marrying the lyric. Yeah. Yeah, you, well, you've written music in so many different styles, too. I know, for instance, Dave Grusin doesn't write the same kind of music that Michelle Liron writes. No, They're not both at great all. composers, but for instance, that song in Tootsie. Uh, it's a, oh, It Might Be You. It Might Be You. Yeah. That's so different than The Windmills of Your Mind. It's just a whole new, a different world. Yeah, well, the because construction. Because different story, different movie, yeah, different Dave's mood, his, his, his way of writing is so yeah. different. And that's a very interesting, the construction of that melody is very interesting. Yes. You know, it's not a 32-bar song, so to speak. No. Uh, but no, that's, that's true. Uh, 
I was listening to it the other day, thinking the bridge ought to start about here, but it didn't. It, it, yeah. Something kept going before the bridge actually started. Yeah. He yeah. didn't write date paraphrases. Yeah. Well, they, you know, Dave and and uh, Michelle and and John Williams uh, and well, I was gonna. Say, oh, Mandel is wonderful. But they, they uh, and Marvin, they had such facility at the piano. You know, and they were uh, sometimes Marilyn and I would. Uh, we both play, uh, you know, would say, what happens if it goes here? And they say, oh, yeah, we could do that. But their facility, they could, uh, what about this? You know, and they have three other alternatives. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, because they, they you We're know. very great, lucky. Yeah, they're great, great musicians. Uh, yeah, well. I mean. What know. about music? Do you, do you feel like... Uh, Hearing or performing or listening to any kind of any of your music right now, whatever you want. <laughs> uh, we've got some we got some recordings here. We have uh, we have you here, Alan. Uh, yeah. What do you think? Well, what, what I would please know. you? Uh, shall I do something? Uh, <laughs> well, this is Mary Cantos. It was wonderful. Mary, piano. that's not her name. Here is she. Oh, thank you so much. Where are you, Mary? I'm at the piano. Oh, you're at the piano. Well, this piano is mobile, so you could be almost anywhere. I'm happy you're here. Uh, well, we should. Give me your proper name. Oh, Falcone. Of course. And if I could just say, writing with them, my husband and I had the pleasure of writing with them. And as someone who isn't as well known as a Mendel or the other oh, people. Oh, yeah, they're wonderful writers. Oh, but. I just, I'm so glad to say this. They're so gracious. And just, they don't pull the, we know better than you because look at our resume card. They're true collaborators. And their graciousness to one another and to the composers is a gift. And, Thank you, Mary. And, oh, but I'm, I'm so glad to be able to say it because they are as precious as you think. <laughs> well put, that's, that's lovely. Thank you. Well, Mary's I, husband, Bill Cantos, is yeah, probably was, known to you. Wonderful, wonderful musician, composer, singer, he, player. Well, I want to <laughs> sit on a stool. I really oh, sit on a stool. Okay, use this one. So what do you want to do uh, first, Alan? Oh, first? Oh, no, just windows. Here, uh, you use this one. Oh, okay. Uh, but we should... Uh, tell you about this song first, I mean, how it came to be. Um, in addition to Richard Brooks uh, and Sidney Pollack, who we directed the way we were, among other things, uh, another director who really knew, and we were very lucky to work with them, uh, who knew the value of a song within the context of a movie. Uh, Norman Jewison, in directing the Thomas Crown Affair, he, uh, he came to us um, and said, uh, showed us the movie, and he showed us this sequence where the Steve McQueen character was flying a glider, and uh, he had just masterminded the robbery of a bank. He didn't participate, but he planned it all. And the the robbery was successful. Now he was a bored playboy who was flying this glider, very grim, because he, he, and very anxious, because he didn't know what to do with the money. He had, he had, they had robbed this bank successfully, but now what was he gonna do with all the money? Where was he gonna put it, how was he gonna? So Norman said, uh, I want you to, uh, write a song that underlines the anxiety the character is feeling. And as we said before, Michelle came downstairs and he played us four or five different melodies. Or six or seven. Or six or seven, and we, he said. Uh, Each one different, everyone different. And can I interrupt you? Please, go, darling. Because the picture was going to have 
uh, a kind of a jazz score, or at least the uh, tone of a jazz score. Uh, it was one melody in this bunch of melodies he came down and played that was a kind of Baroque melody and was seemed the unlikeliest of uh, ones to choose. But maybe because it was such an unusual melody, uh, maybe that's why we did choose it. And Alan is going to sing it. <laughs> Alan? Yes? Oh, you're there. OK. <laughs> you could have sung it, too. Oh, maybe. Yes. Not like him. Oh. So. OK, Mary. Oh, OK. <laughs> spinning wheel like a snowball down a mountain or a carnival balloon like a snowball down a mountain da, 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 da. I gotta start again sorry <laughs> go again round better like a circle in a spiral like a wheel within a wheel never ending or beginning on an ever-spinning reel Like a snowball down a mountain Or a carnival balloon Like a carousel that's turning Running rings around the moon Like a clockless hands are sweeping past the minutes of its face And the world is like an apple Whirling silently in space like the circles that you find in the windows of your mind. Like a tunnel that you follow to a tunnel of its own. Down a hollow to a cavern where the sun has never shone. Like a door that keeps revolving in a half-forgotten dream. Or the ripples from a pebble someone tosses in a stream like a clockless answer sweeping past the minutes of its face and the world is like an apple whirling silently in space like the circles that you find in the windows of your mind keys that jingle in your pocket words that jangle in your head why did summer go so quickly? Was it something that you said? Lovers walk along the shore, leave their footprints in the sand. Is the sound of distant drumming just the fingers of your hand? Pictures hanging in a hallway in the fragment of a song. Half-remembered names and faces, but to whom do they belong? When you knew that it was over, you were suddenly aware that the autumn leaves were turning to the color of her hair. Like a circle in a spiral, like a wheel within a wheel, never ending or beginning on an ever-spinning reel. As the images unwind, like the circles that you find in the windows of your mind. Wow. Sorry, I blew the blew it in the beginning. You want to trade or I'll just take this and okay. go back and review. <laughs> Thank you. I wish I could do another one. I see another lyric there. Oh, well, yeah. Okay, okay, okay. Uh, Back to the choreography. What are you doing? Um, uh, it's love my cars. Oh. Uh, okay, this is an example. This doesn't come from a movie. This is uh, 
This Dave comes Grusin. from a gorgeous melody. Yes. Dave Grusin. Dave Grusin came over the house one day uh, and said, I have this melody, what do you think? And we said, oh my God. He played it for us and we said, leave it here, <laughs> please. Um, several songs, uh, there are many songs like this. We have a, um, a kind of a shelf where we, when we're not working on assignment, we take out these wonderful melodies. Uh, I don't know if you know a song of ours called Where Do You Start? Uh, that came from Johnny Mandel coming over the house in the same way. Um, so this song, uh, we just loved it. And uh, we kind of uh, wrote it for each other. <laughs> uh, and here it is. Yeah, I it's think called, if we were to ask which song we wrote is the most personal, uh, song. This was it. <laughs> I think is it. Mm. Um. I look at you and there it is. The ultimate in where it is. Realize how rare it is This finding your love You try so many arms When you are lonely To find the one and only one day you turn and she's there. Amazing how serene it is. The shade of evergreen it is. Exactly what we mean. With our lives, whatever goes astray, what rainy day comes around, a love like ours will keep us. And for all of us, isn't it? Well, about how to feel about each other. <laughs> isn't easy sometimes, but it's possible, obviously, because they've done it. Yeah. Um, we're running short, or long, or whatever it's called. But I was just wondering, is there anybody there who would like to ask a question about anything? Uh, Almost. I anything. see a hand right here. <laughs> yeah. Um, when you listen to a melody, what? qualities make you go, I like that, I want to write to that, or I don't think that's going to work. What is it about the melody that appeals to you or does not appeal to you? <sighs> that's a question I think I've never pondered before. But uh, a beautiful melody speaks to you. Um, and there are, as Alan said earlier, when we hear a melody that we love, I think we love it because we hear words on the tips of the notes, mm. particularly on the main, whatever is the motif of the melody or something. The, you know, the, 
important. Melodies have ideas in them. If they don't, then they're not interesting, and I, I think we, we won't write them if we don't feel that we can add something to what the music already says. This melody of Dave's, which I think is one of my most favorite, if not my most favorite song that we've written, and I, I, certainly it's because of the melody, and I think we would not have felt what we felt, what we wrote, if the melody hadn't had those words on the tips of those notes for us. Yeah, you so can, I think, no, ahead, first of all, I think it has to say something. You have to know that it's either, it's either a love song or it's, uh, I don't know, whatever is the opposite of a love song, what? apart from a love song. I guess we'd like to write love songs. But um, I think it has to say something. As much as the lyrics says, the melody speaks and has something to say to us. And I think when Dave, as I think Alan may have said this, I don't hear him very well when he's speaking from there, but um, when Dave got through playing this song, we said to him, just leave it here, please. Just don't take it away from us now. And um, we knew that we had to write it, and I think we knew, we each were aware of what this song what the first few lines of the song were, because we almost said them at the same time, I remember. Mm. Um, and it doesn't need, what I'm saying, doesn't need a particular kind of song or anything, you know, a melody. Um, it might be uh, uh, an unhappy song. That makes itself very clear when you listen to a sad piece of music or an unfulfilled thought that is floating around in these notes. And if you have the um, advantage of an assignment from a film that's a guide to what you are to write, uh, so I don't know else how to answer, because I've never been posed that question. <laughs> no, it's a, it's a very good question. Uh, melodies, you know how you, how you say about a band, for instance, that's really swings, you know? Melodies sing. Uh, and if you can hear it singing, uh, and it's there, I mean, and we recognize it. I mean, for us, it may not be for anybody else, you know, but we, they sing. They, they, as Marilyn said, there are ideas there. You can hear it being sung, as opposed to, you know, an instrumental who you can tell it doesn't sing. You know, it's a great instrumental. <laughs> don't, don't misunderstand me, you know, but they, they, they do sing. There. Well, that structure that we spoke of is also there that says to you that this is a vocal piece and you're giving the singer, uh, at this point, it's like giving uh, an actor a page of a script, you know? Um, and, yeah. And sometimes, you know, uh, there's a, a good example of sometimes you, you hear a melody uh, that needs to be changed uh, tempo-wise or something. Michelle uh, did a picture called Picasso's Summer and he came to us and he said, I got a melody, you have to write a lyric. And he sat down at the piano and he went, and he played a march. We said, wait a minute. We said, but play it like a saloon song. And he said, what's a saloon song? I mean, it was early in his career. And then we said, think of Frank Sinatra smoking a cigarette and saying, and he went, ba ba na, ba ba na, dee da 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 da, dee da da, dee da. And we said, okay, that sings, you know. Uh, and that became uh, uh, summer me, winter me, yeah. But we, but I, so melodies, uh, the best melodies are melodies that can be played in any tempo 
if you take all the great standards of the Berlin or, or uh, Cole Porter or Rodgers and Hammerstein, uh, you know, or Harold Arlen and so forth, and you can take those melodies and you can play them any way you want and they're still great, you know, because for one thing, they got great bass lines, every one of them, you know, but they, they, uh, they sing. That's the, the only way I can describe it. We have to get out of here, right? Soon, but not now. <laughs> they, it's yeah. interesting to hear songwriters even talk about a bass line. I mean, <laughs> this well, audience are people who know about that. And yeah, well, uh, that's something we notice all the time. But to have a songwriter say, well, wow. listen to that bass line in, uh, what's the... Uh, what are you doing the rest of your life? What are you life? doing the rest I mean, of your that, life? You know, it just keeps killer. going down, down, and down. And yeah. Uh, well, we both have the value of being musicians. So yeah, both yeah, yeah, being both musicians. It has nothing to do with the lyrics. It just has to do with the power of the structure of that tune. I yeah. think it does have to do with lyrics. Does it? Yeah. Okay. I stand corrected. Yeah. What? <laughs> Well, that's, that's fascinating. It really is fascinating. You, you guys are the complete package. Musicians, <laughs> singers, right? What else do you do? Cook. <laughs> cook. <laughs> yeah, she's a great cook. And Alan played a set of tennis this morning before yeah. coming down here. Yeah, yeah. I just thought I'd mention that. I play every day. <laughs> he plays every morning. Every morning. Yeah. Always well, do. Uh, is there anyone out there who else? Question. Yeah. There's, there's some hands over okay. in the middle there. Oh, absolutely. When, I mean, if you're, you know, to be a writer, you have to be a reader. And uh, we, we did that. T.S. Eliot is a favorite of Maryland's. E.E. E. Cummings is... Uh, those. I, I think that the likening of uh, lyrics to poetry is, is No, that's not what he meant, though. No, that's not. He was asking. I know, but that's uh, what you were speaking to. No, no. No? No, no. I can't hear. No, uh, uh, his gift of E.E. E. Cummings, for instance, the gift of language that he had is incredible. Uh, and we did read a lot of poetry uh, when we were kids. Uh, you know, as I say, knows T.S. Eliot by heart, <laughs> some of it. Uh, but, no, but what Marilyn was saying is, you know, Poet, poetry and lyric writing are two different things. Poetry is meant to be read. Lyric is, lyrics are meant to be sung. So that there are always these frustrating moments where the word that you mean to use, if you were just searching for the right word in terms of meaning, that you don't use, you can't use, because it doesn't sing properly. It's a, that right there is the difference between a poet and a lyric writer. Yeah. It's yeah. married to that music. Yeah. Lyrics have to sing. They must, you know, to, to put uh, closed vowels on high notes like E and stuff like this. You can't do that, you know? I mean, dealing with the human voice and, and its limitations, and you have to consider that. Need those open vowels. You know, this wonderful story of of uh, Oscar Hammerstein he wrote a wonderful song called "What's the Use in Wondering," and he said that people don't sing it because the last line in the song is "and all the rest is talk," and try to do "and all the rest is talk." You can't. You know, it's t because of that closed vowel. People don't sing that song, and it's a wonderful song. There are so. people who sing that song. <laughs> Rarely. Yeah. Rarely. Yeah. It's too bad. Yeah. He should have searched for another rhyme, another word. I think he said that. Yeah. Uh, my, I, I became a lyric writer by accident, literally by accident. I, I'm prone to accidents. What, what you saw me link, limping in here. I broke my hip about a month ago, <laughs> and so it's healing. I'm much better, but uh, an accident also brought me from New York to California where I met Alan. If I had not fallen down a flight of steps, wet, ste wet stone steps in New York, <laughs> I would not be here. 
I broke one shoulder and I dislocated the other. Clumsy. <laughs> uh, and I had to come to California where my parents were living at the time because I was in a body cast like this. And uh, in the interim of time between high school and college when I was in New York, um, I was the piano player for Bob, Rosen, Bob Russell. And um, he moved to California. He moved here to LA. So when I came here, I called him and his family who were living here, because I knew nobody else. And I said to him in this cast, what am I going to do here for months? They told me this would be months. I can't do anything, he said. I said, I can't write. It's hard for me to even turn the pages of a book. I can't drive. And he said, well, I know one thing you know how to do. You should write songs. I said, but I can't play the piano. I can barely get my hands around you. So he said, so write lyrics. By then, they were tape recorders. I was almost out of a job with him anyway, because he didn't need me to sit there and play the melodies. Um, he said, so write lyrics. You can talk those into a tape recorder. And I said, yeah, fine, but who, who would I write with? He said, well, I get a lot of young composers who bring me melodies, and I can't possibly write them all, so I can introduce you to a couple of them. And he introduced me to a fellow named Lou Spence, who some of you may have known. And so Lou and I started to write together. And uh, one day, uh, oh, I wrote with him in the afternoon because I like to sleep late. And Alan wrote with him in the morning after tennis. Um, and uh, I, I said, uh, to, to, to Lou and to Alan one day. Uh, what did I say? No. What, what, I said what, the three of us should work together. Yeah, Lou, Lou uh, said, I want my two lyric writers to meet each other. And so we, uh, he brought me up to uh, Maryland, had a little uh, adjunct to a uh, little garage with, which they had, her parents had... Uh, made it to a studio for her. So we met and we wrote a song that day, a terrible song, but, uh, but we enjoyed the process and that was 1956. We've been writing together ever since. We started writing, you know, uh, among the... In 1958, there was a big um, Calypso craze in this country. And the first uh, kind of hit we had was a song called Yellow Bird, which uh, was a big hit, uh, you know. It paid, uh, paid the, <laughs> the grocery bill for a while. And then in 1960, we wrote uh, um, Nice and Easy for Sinatra. And then we, we got an offer from Julie Stein, a marvelous composer, and... Uh, he called us and he said, uh, would you write a Broadway show? I, I have a, I'd, I'd like to put you together with a, an old Tin Pan Alley writer. And uh, we did, we uh, wrote a Broadway show with Sammy Fain, a wonderful, wonderful writer. Wonderful songwriter. Oh yeah. Uh, uh, and uh, <laughs> this show was a disaster. Uh, um, because Julie Steiner was a one marvelous composer, you know, wrote the music for Gypsy and uh, wonderful. He was a great songwriter. Great songwriter. Um, he uh, he decided he wanted to be the director, and he couldn't direct any of you to where the bathroom. Was. <laughs> anyway, uh, he uh, and so and we came back here and uh, with a tail between our legs, <laughs> and, we, and we starved for a little bit. And one day, a fellow by the name of Quincy Jones lived up the street. And Q came down, knocked on the door, and he said, I'm doing a picture, and I need to write a song for Ray Charles. Would you write it with me? And 
We, Some question. Yes, and we wrote in the heat of the night with Quincy, and uh, for a marvelous director, I told you about Norman Jewison, and uh, that song, um, you know, the, in the heat of the night, did exactly what he wanted it to do for the picture, um, and the next picture was the Thomas Crown Affair, and uh, we wrote windmills for that, and luckily we. We won the Academy Award for that, and then life got easier. Let me put it that way. People thought, yeah. Um, but an interesting story about <laughs> about that uh, song. Uh, Norman Jewison was very, as I said, very wise about songs and so on. He said, I know just who should sing it in the movie. And we said, great. He said, come on, we'll go over and play it for him. The, the studio hadn't heard it. Only Norman, Michelle, Marilyn, and I, and Hal Ashby, who was his editor on the film, who later became a wonderful director, uh, went over and had played it for this singer who was, uh, uh, every time he went to bat with a movie song, it was a big hit. And uh, so we did the song for him, and he said to Norman, he said, uh, I love that melody. He said, I don't, I don't understand the lyric at all. If you it's ask, yeah, if you, if you uh, ask Marilyn and Alan to rewrite the lyric, I'll be glad to do it. And, you know, a weaker director, because this guy was a big record star, would have said, well, okay, go on. Norman said, I wouldn't ask Marilyn and Alan to change one syllable. That's exactly what I want for my movie. If you don't want to do it, we'll get somebody else. And about three months later, it wins the Academy Award, and this guy goes in and records it, right? Then he understood it. <laughs> and that was Andy Williams. <laughs> well, I think it may be time to sort of say goodbye, and, uh, and thank you so much for giving so much of yourselves. Thank you for listening to another ASMAC podcast. We welcome your feedback at asmac.org. This is Ian Freebairn-Smith on behalf of the board, and I would like to invite you to attend our events, including luncheons, master classes, and our annual Golden Score Awards Banquet. For a complete list of our podcasts and DVDs, please visit our website at www.asmac.org. Many thanks to Larry Goldman of Balboa Studios for recording this talk, and to Elliot Barker of Elbar Media for editing it for broadcast.